Well, we're back to the story we've taken, as Pastor Reagan told you a while ago, a few weeks off uh, for our um, missions emphasis Sundays. And today we're on chapter 29 of the story. It's entitled Paul's Mission, but I'd like to subtitle it The Mission of the Church because they're one and the same. The mission that was the heartthrob and the drive behind the ministry of the Apostle Paul is the commission that the Lord Jesus gave to the church, and it's still in vogue today. Now, on the last Sunday in September, Pastor Reagan began this particular section, which is the book of Acts. The book of Acts in your New Testament is the history book of the early church, and he dealt with the first half of that chapter, uh, or that book, the book of Acts, which really emphasizes the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and the need of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we must have the Holy Spirit if we're to operate and function as Jesus called us to. Isn't it amazing that those men that followed Jesus and served with him and he personally taught them, uh, those men who knew more about the ministry of Jesus than anybody could ever know because they literally Uh, were trained by him physically. He taught them to preach. He taught them to pray. He taught them to heal the sick. He taught them to cast out devils. He taught them to minister. And yet Jesus told them, before you start ministering, when I go away, you go back to Jerusalem and tarry until you're endued with power to serve. And so they waited for the infilling of the Holy Spirit before they began. The Apostle Paul mentioned one time to the church at Galatia. In fact, that's the way he started that book. He said, he said, are you so foolish that you've begun in the spirit and you think now that you can continue in the flesh? What Paul is saying, if you'll allow me to paraphrase, it's a mistake to think that you can do the work of the church without the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't, don't even try. Amen. We need that unction of the Holy Spirit and his anointing. So today I'm going to pick up from there. Before I do, if you will indulge me, I'd like to just just briefly do a little review since we've been away from the story for a few weeks. And by the way, the story is is basically just a chronological order takes you from Genesis to Revelation in story form. Now, obviously, every verse of Scripture is not in here, but it, it tells the story of the Bible. And you're actually getting the Bible from Genesis to Revelations when you read the story, but it's an easy read, and I'm sure that you'll want to read that um, more than once. So uh, that's why we encourage you, if you don't have one, to be sure and get one, because that's one of those books that you'll want to read over and over and over again, year after year. I remember several years ago, we had a a young man that came here, and and, um, he, he, um, well, you just have to understand that that um, his elevator didn't go to the top floor. I, I, you understand. And, and so somebody felt sorry for him and gave him a real nice Bible. They bought him just, I mean, an expensive Bible. And uh, he carried that around a while. And, and then he, he went to one of our men and he said, I need a Bible. And, and, uh, and so this guy took him to the bookstore and picked out a real nice, very expensive Bible, reference Bible for him, and got to the counter. He said, how about this one? He said, no, I've already read that one. 
<laughs> so you, you want to read this over and over again. The Bible's not a book that you just read one time and go look for a, a different one. It's, uh, it's, a little, it's a little bit different. But, but just to, to sort of remind you of the story and what it's all about, we begin in January way back with the first chapter of the story, and it begins with Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 that says, In the beginning, God. And isn't it amazing uh, that our God, awesome in all of his ways and, and marvelous in all that he does, in the beginning, God. Uh, he has no end. He has, you, you go back as far as you can go and, and God's already there. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says. Now, the more science is able to discover, the greater telescopes that we can get. And then when they sent the Hubble out there and, and they go off from there, with, they're discovering whole galaxies out there in space. Not just another star, another planet, but whole galaxies that are bigger in, in dimension and in the number of planets and stars than our own galaxy. It's just the, the, the creation of God is so amazing. But at one point in history, God decided to pay close attention to this little planet called Earth. And he decided to create everything for us and then create us. In fact, when you get to verse 27 in Genesis chapter 1, so God created man in his own image. And he made us so that he could have fellowship with us and so that he could love us and we could respond to his love. The closest thing we have to understanding what we were created for is when we have our own children. And how many of you understand that there's just something about your own child? I remember that first look at my firstborn. It, it, it was just amazing. It, it, there was nothing like it. It just, I was overwhelmed with the moment. And, and there was a, an instant love that was just there. I mean, I, I love that child more than, more than in, a, in a different way than I'd ever loved anybody in the whole world. And that's the way God feels about us, only a million times more. And, and that love doesn't stop with your children. It just continues on and on. And it, when they're good, you love them. When they're not good, you love them. When, you know, when they disappoint you, you still love them. When they hurt you, you love them. When they tear your heart out of your chest and throw it on the floor and stomp on it, you still love them. You know, there's just, there's just something about that love and it. It's the closest thing that we have to understanding what God's love is like for us. And oh, how he desires that fellowship with us. And he set it up so that he could have that. But then by the time you get to Genesis 3, you discover sin entering into the family. And that sin separates and divides from God because God is a perfect God. God's a holy God. And and. And sin and God cannot dwell and get along together. And so that separation, but God immediately began to work to, um, 
to find a way to reunite us to, the, to his family so he could fellowship with us like he wanted to in the beginning. And he gives us his word. And this word is basically divided into two main sections, the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is a, uh, all about um, a nation. God births a nation and tells us that through that nation, he's going to demonstrate to the world the blessings and the favor of God. And from that nation, he's going to bring us a redeemer and a perfect sacrifice so that we can come back to God and gain fellowship with him again. And then the New Testament. In the New Testament, God births a church. And that's what we're talking about today as we get to the history book of the New Testament the birth of the church, God's church. Now, I, I want to, for the next few minutes, I want to I really, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture because I, I want to take care of some false doctrine and give you the truth about the church and who founded it and so forth. So let's look at the church. And I want to tell you, first of all, that the church was not founded by the apostle Peter. Now, I'm going to give you scripture to back that up. So please, for the next few minutes, pay close attention to the word that I want to give you here. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 13 to 19. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Now, let me stop here for just a moment. I want you to get a mental picture of what's going on. Jesus is talking to his disciples all of his disciples. His disciples are in front of him. And he's saying to them, this is a teaching moment that he has with them. He's saying to them, and there's a lot of rumor going around about who I am. Tell me what you've heard. All, he's addressing all of the disciples. Who do people say that I am? So they started responding to them. One said one thing, one another, and another. It went something like this. So they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you, you guys, you disciples of mine, who do you say that I am? And then a hand goes up and Simon Peter responds and he answers, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Jesus answers directly to Simon Peter because Simon Peter's the one that just answered the question. And he said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let me paraphrase. Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own. You got the right answer. But we, we know where you got that from. My heavenly father has given you that revelation. And he's still addressing Simon Peter now. He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. Now, I put in parentheses here what that is in the Greek. The word is petros. You are, and it, 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 there's a play on words here. You want to get it right to understand it. He says, everybody's been calling you Simon. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start referring to you from this point on as petros. Petros means a, a, a small stone. 
You are a stone, and we'll see what that means in a little bit as it relates to the church. In other words, you are going to be a part of the building that I'm building in this world. You are a small stone. That's, that's you, and, and we're going to refer to you from now on as Petros. But on this rock, the word here is Petra, and it means a massive rock. Not on Petros, Simon Peter, the small stone, but on Jesus Christ, the massive rock, the solid rock. On the revelation that you've just shared of who Jesus Christ is, that's where the church will be founded. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he goes back to addressing all the disciples. He said, guys, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And those same keys are for all who are in the church today. Do you know that you have spiritual authority as a part of the body of Christ in the name of Jesus Christ through the revelation and understanding that you have in him? Amen? That's why we can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That's why we can pray and believe and see God do great things for us because of the revelation and understanding. We exercise our faith in who he is, Jesus Christ. Now, so the church was not founded on Simon Peter. Let me tell you who the church was founded upon. The church was founded upon Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you a lot of scripture here to back that up. First of all, 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, the scripture does not confuse and 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 uh, contradict itself if if the church was founded on simon peter that would be a different foundation and paul just told us here in first corinthians 3 11 just leave that up a moment if you will if can you back up to that first corinthians 3 11 there is no other foundation that anyone can lay than that which is already laid in other words god laid it and that foundation is who jesus christ now let's go to let let Let's look at what the Apostle Peter himself said about the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Look at this. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scriptures, Simon Peter says. He's quoting Scripture here. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He's quoting here from Psalms chapter 118, verse 22. He goes on and he says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He's quoting from Isaiah 8, 14. 8, 14. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Peter himself is telling us that the chief cornerstone upon which the church was founded was prepared by God himself, and that is Jesus. Amen? And I love that. Let me tell you a little story behind this thing of the chief cornerstone, the stone that was rejected. When you study history, you'll discover 
that when they were building the, the, the great temple, you remember Solomon's temple? The Bible tells you that there, was, there wasn't a sound of any tools or hammering of, of, of chiseling and so forth on the site. In other words, all of that was done at another place, the quarry where they dug out the, the, uh, uh, the stones, they prepared them, and then they carried them up to the temple mount where they were placed. And, and the precision and the perfection of that is amazing for that day. But for, for some reason, history says that while they were measuring to perfection all of this, somebody uh, sent ahead, whoever was in charge of doing all this architectural work, sent ahead the dimensions for the capstone, the cornerstone, the, 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 the final stone that they celebrate when they put, uh, put it at the temple. And, and they sent those dimensions and they, and they cut that actually out of order. When it came up, they thought it was the next stone to go in the building and it didn't fit. So they just, they said somebody messed up and they just, they, they rejected that because it didn't fit. And it, it rolled down, down the hill. And, and so when they finish the building and they're ready for the, for the chief cornerstone, the, the, the stone that they're going to celebrate, they said, where is it? And, then, and the guys from the quarry said, we've already sent it. And so they discovered that, that stone that they had rejected was, was actually the cornerstone. And so they, they, they brought it back up and, and put it in place. And, and there's a spiritual thing here. Simon Peter saying uh, here, he said that, that stone that was rejected, and he makes a spiritual application, Jesus Christ, he came into this world. They rejected him. <laughs> but we discovered he was, in fact, the, we, we found it out three days later, buddy. After they crucified him and put him in the tomb, they found out three days later. You, 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 you put, that was the one right there. And, and he's the cornerstone. Look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, 13 to 18. And uh, he, it says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and their own earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things consist. Look at this verse 18. And he, Jesus is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, he may have the preeminence. Who's going to have the preeminence? Jesus. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. Who was the church founded on? Jesus. Listen, when you start lifting up names, you get in trouble because there's only one name that God has elevated above all other names. Amen. Now we, you know, we come up with all kinds of names. I heard a story one time about this, this guy that was trying to locate the church of God in a particular town down in South Georgia and he drove in a little town he didn't know where to go, and so he saw a guy on the street there, and he pulled over and rolled down his window. He said, hey, can you tell me where the church of God here is here in this town? 
And, and the guy was a little tipsy, and he thought a minute, and he said, well, I, t- I tell you what, said, you go down here three blocks and turn to the right. Now. No, 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 no. said, that's, uh, that's Brother Bill's church. And uh, he said, let me think a minute. He said, well, you, you turn left and go down here about five blocks. And it, no, he said, that's Brother John's church. He said, I'll just be honest with you, sir. I don't know if God's got a church in this town. Uh, But it's his church. It's his church. Not, not man's church. It's his church. Let, let, me, let me go on. Let's look at Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, capital H, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Give you another passage, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. How many more scriptures do I need to give you? Let me, uh, I'll just give you one more. Ephesians 5, 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body. Praise the Lord. Who's the head of the church? Christ. Church was founded on Jesus. In fact, uh, the scripture says, Acts 20, 28, follow peace with all men without holy, for without holiness no man shall see the Lord. It's talking about the church, the church, his holy body. So, so let me tell you this morning, Peter was not the founder of the church. Peter was not the first pope. He was not infallible. And there's no follow of divine succession for Simon Peter. In fact, Peter was very much a man. Those of you that know your Bible, you, you know, and I'm not trying in any way to belittle him. He was a mighty apostle of God, but he was very, very human. He definitely was not infallible by any stretch of the imagination. If you, if you remember, Simon Peter's the one that, that was always getting his foot in his mouth. And, and, and then when Jesus was preparing for, they were getting ready to crucify him, Peter denied him three times. Now, thank God the Lord Jesus restored him after his resurrection and, and, uh, and helped him, and he was anointed and used of God. But, uh, but again, he was a man. In fact, if you go to the book of um, Galatians, you'll discover that Paul says there was a time that we were meeting in a council in Jerusalem with the church, and Simon Peter just, he just missed it in one area. He, was, he had gotten over into legalism, and he said, I withstood him to the face. In other words, he said, I, I talked to Simon Peter, and I said, Peter, you're wrong. And, and if you read the scriptures, you discover that Peter changed his way of doing, 
and admitted that he was wrong on that particular issue. He was a man just like the rest of us. Listen, the only one to have preeminence in the church is Jesus. This is not about us. It's about him for the glory of God. Praise the Lord. The, the church of Jesus Christ was not the Roman Catholic church. And I could even go further than that. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ was not the Southern Baptist church. The church of Jesus Christ was not the United Methodist church. The church of Jesus Christ was not the church of God at New Hope. The church of Jesus Christ is the body of Christ made up of blood-washed believers in all of those churches. Amen. Glory to God. These other things are what man did. And, and, and I'm sure that God, you know, directed and uses those things. And, you know, we, we believe that. But the church that the Scripture's talking about is the body of believers from, from all over the world. Praise God. Born again, blood bought saved Catholic brothers and sisters or our brothers and sisters and saved, born again, blood-bought Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterian and, and, and you just name the list and it's a long one. Just name all of them if you want to. There are brothers and sisters in the Lord if they've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and that's the church that Jesus has placed in this earth to do his work. Amen. Now, let me move on quickly. God raises up a point man in the New Testament church, the first century church, to get it going with the commission. And it might surprise you that it's a very unlikely kind of a person. In fact, God does things like that all of the time. He, he, uh, he, he raises up a guy that became known as Paul. He's a very unlikely candidate. In fact, he is just as unlike it. Remember I told you the, the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, was about God raising up a nation. And God chose the most unlikely people to found a nation. He picked Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, 100 years old. Sarah, 90 years old. And you're going to build a nation out of that? But that's what our God did. He chose these two old people. In fact, Abraham, Abraham was dumbfounded himself. He said, God, how are you going to do that? I'm 100 years old. My wife's 90 years old. She couldn't have children when she was young. We have a problem. We don't know what it is, but we were never able to birth a child. And, and here she is now. She's 90 years old. She's past the years of childbearing. She for sure can't have a baby now, can she? All things are possible with God. You old women don't get too comfortable. God can renew your youth like the eagles. Amen. And so God does it just to dumbfound every. I think God's got a sense of humor. I wonder sometimes if God doesn't do things and get tickled at himself. I know sometimes he calls angels over and says, come here, come here. Look what Rich Bowen's fixing to do. He, he's fixing to blow. Just watch him. <laughs> I, maybe it doesn't happen that way, but I, I have kind of a weird sense of humor. I, I, 
I think God gets tickled at our stupidity sometimes. I really do. And God said, watch this. And he takes a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, and he produces a child named Isaac. And he gives him a wife named Rebecca, and they produce twins named Jacob and Esau. And he takes Esau and gives him two wives, Leah and Rachel, and they produce 12 sons. You think you had trouble at your house. You imagine raising 12 boys. They raised 12 boys and a girl, but 12, 12 sons. And from those 12 sons, in a matter of a few generations, they go from 12 to about 3 million and then it just goes from there. They're scattered all over the world. You can't even count them now. We, nobody knows how many descendants from there. Well, God does the same thing with the founding of it, uh, with the, with the uh, commission of his church. He picks the most unlikely guy. He picks a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Saul is a, is a religious guy, but he's, he is hyper, super legalistic religious, he's actually a religious terrorist. He is so dogmatically in the, into Judaism that he starts fighting everybody that's not Jews. And Christians become his main target. And he starts arresting Christians and persecuting Christians and, and even having Christians killed. He's the Osama bin Laden of his day towards Christians. He hates Christians. And, and one day he goes to the, to the Supreme Court in Jerusalem and he says, I want some letters of authority. I hear there's a bunch of those Jesus freaks down in Damascus and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to haul them back up here and we'll put them on trial and we'll kill them and do something with them. And so he gets the authority to do that. And he's heading down to Damascus. You can read about his conversion in Acts chapter 9. And on his way to Damascus, all of a sudden at noonday, a light that's brighter than the sun, this light's so bright that it blinds him. And he's knocked off of his, his animal, his horse, by, by a power and a presence that he don't understand. And he, he's laying there blind in the road. And he said, what's going on here? And he hears a voice from heaven and says, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? And that voice comes back from heaven and says, I'm Jesus Christ whom you, uh, whom you uh, are uh, uh, persecuting. I'm Jesus. And Paul, Saul, surrenders his life to the Lord. He says, Lord, tell me what to do. And he fasts for the next three days and nights and they carry him into Damascus because he can't see. And he's closed up in a house fasting and praying and getting to know this Jesus that he's been persecuting. And God sends a messenger to him and he walks in the door and says, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me to you. He laid his hands on him and God healed him of his blindness and restored his sight and filled him with the Holy Spirit and said, I've called you to do a mighty work. And that 
man became the great leader of the New Testament church. He planted 10 churches. He wrote 14 of the 27 books in your New Testament. I'd say that's a mighty man of God, wouldn't you? God used him mightily. Wow, what a, what a miraculous change of events. Paul becomes that great leader, that great leader. Hey, our God can do anything. I tell you, he can use the most unlikely people. Well, that brings me to my third and final point of this message today. I told you at the beginning that the mission of the church is the same as the mission that Paul had. So I want to tell you that the mission of the church has not changed. It's still the same today. So I want to take you back uh, to, the, to the text that I uh, want to use for this day. And it's found in, Matthew, uh, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the commission of the church. And it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Same thing that Paul did, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Last couple of weeks, we've had special emphasis on missions. And somebody said, don't you think y'all overemphasize missions? No, I think we underemphasize missions. I, I think it, 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 it is the heartthrob of God. It is the mission of the church. We, we, uh, I, I just want, you know, Jack Haynes said, he said, I stay on my people all the time. He said, I want to I get them to give to missions till they don't have anything else to give to anything. He said, I want them to be so mad at me for, for challenging them to give that when they get to heaven, they'll chase me down and say, thank you. I was wrong. Thank you. I'm so glad I gave. <laughs> it's the greatest opportunity that we have to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it in all the world. Last week, I, week before last, I visited a lady in the hospital that attends our church. She's in her 80s. She, um, she's on fixed income. She's living on her Social Security check. I know of three churches that she's built on the mission field. There may be more, but three of them I know because she, she brought, them to, brought them out to me $1,100 apiece. She, she said, here, preacher, I've saved enough money out of my Social Security to build another church on the mission field. And then she'd come to me again say, here, preacher, I've saved enough money out of my Social Security to build another church on the mission field. She's done that three times. I don't know, maybe more. Wow. Can you imagine what kind of treasure she's going to have in heaven? How many people that they're winning to the Lord? Listen, my, my heart broke. I, I sat here last Sunday as, as B.G. Thampy. When he, when he told about that 14-year-old girl that was taken into human trafficking, and from the age of 14, seven years later, she had never seen the sunshine they had been, she, they had her locked in a room seven years servicing over 20 people a day as a sex slave. My heart breaks when I think of folks like that. When, when I realize that, that in this world, 
It's hard for me to even wrap my mind around the debauchery of sin and how low human beings can go and how how they can mistreat other human beings. I, I, I just, I wouldn't do to my worst enemy things that people do to each other in sin. You know, most of those, most of those young people that are caught in human trafficking, they don't live to be very old. In those brothels in India, for example, when they when their bodies are used up, if they take them as young teenagers, by the time they're 18, 19, 20 years old, they're diseased, they're sick, they're dying. They just throw them out the window in an alley and let them die. We know of one lady that, that somebody found her in an alley dying. And they shared the gospel of Jesus with her and she received Jesus as her savior. And then they prayed for her and God healed her. And they took her home and nourished her and back to health and she recovered and now she's spreading the gospel everywhere vibrant fully alive working for the lord i know we can't save the world but we can save somebody's world boy that that changed that lady's life amen that changed her life and and we can we we can go on and on and on and on and on with stories of 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 opportunities that we have and we have so many opportunities in fact let's look at the outreach opportunity just think of those that we have right here in our church you say preacher i'm not a missionary we're all missionaries we're called to be missionaries amen you may not be called to go to india like brother george You may not be called to go to Africa like some of these teams do. You may not be called to Beirut, Lebanon like our brother Ben from our church is. You may not be called to Menin in South America like like, uh, another one of our young folks from here. But we're all called to be missionaries. Jesus said, start at Jerusalem. Start right where you are. There's people all around us that are lost. By the way, this human trafficking is not something that's unique to India or some other nation out there. It's right here in Augusta, Georgia. You'd be amazed at the sin. We're trying to help I Care get a, get a place that, for these girls that they're rescuing so they can get them back to health and get them back to an education and get help for those that have children right here did you know one of the judges in our town told us that this intersection right up here above the church where all these motels are is one of the highest human trafficking areas in the csra right here at our doorsteps and we have opportunities to rescue amen we have opportunities to reach out you, you can do something. You can do something. <laughs> you know, I, several years ago, a bunch of years ago, well, well over a decade ago, there was an outlaw biker that came to our town and just happened to move next door to a, a couple of members from New Hope. This outlaw biker gang member, He'd come in all kinds of times of the night, all strung out on drugs with his loud motorcycle going. And the guy that lived next door to him was praying that God would save him. And 
His wife was praying that God would move him. And God answered both of their prayers. And that's none other than our brother Roger that does our bridge ministry. In fact, he's at First Baptist this morning sharing what we're doing for Thanksgiving. And uh, brother Roger, I remember so well, I can, I can almost take you to the spot right over here where I was standing when we prayed for him right after he got saved. You know, brother, brother Roger almost died and he gave his heart to the Lord and we got all kind of Roger stories. They're wonderful. Some of them are kind of funny. He, uh, in fact, when he first started coming to church, he'd, he'd sit back here and nobody would sit very close to him because he didn't look good and he didn't smell good either. And uh, they, that's back when we had, remember when we had those, those um, offering things we took up that had little handles on them? Um, the usher passed and the usher wasn't looking when, <laughs> when Roger got the thing and Roger didn't have much money. All he had on him was a $20 bill, and so he put that in, and then he reached in to get some change out. He didn't want to give it all. <laughs> and, and the usher just saw him get money out of the bag, so the usher grabbed it, and Roger grabbed it back. And, <laughs> and the usher tried to grab again. Roger stood up. And he, he, was, he was packing heat. I mean, he had a big gun on him. He was fixing to shoot one of our ushers. But when he stood up, that usher left. He, he left Roger with the, with the bag and everything. We just, you know. But I remember after Brother Roger gave his heart to the Lord, and God started doing that great transformation in his life, and he got involved in everything he could get involved in around here. And I remember the morning they called me from the office. They said, Roger's out here. He wants to see you. And Roger came in. He, he, he was embarrassed. He had his head hanging down. He said, Preacher, he said, I'm so embarrassed. I know it's going to be in the paper, and I don't want to bring a reproach on the church. He said, I'm, I'm going. I'm headed to the courthouse right now for my sentencing. He said, I've already been tried. I've already been found guilty. And I've got some serious prison time to do. He said, I got my pockets loaded with tracks. I'll just witness while I'm in there. But he said, uh, I just want to come by and tell you and apologize to the church if, if I've embarrassed anybody. And I called some folks around and we laid hands on him, prayed for him before he went down for his sentencing. And he went down to the courthouse. He was there all day long. Finally, everybody was gone. The only two people left in the courtroom were Roger and the judge. The judge looked at him and said, what are you doing here? And Roger pulled out his paperwork. And he said, sir, I'm here for my sentencing. And the judge looked back down at his docket and he said, I don't have you on my docket. And Roger said, what do I do? And the judge said, well, I'll tell you what you do. You go home and don't you let me see you back in my courtroom again until I call for you. That's been about 12 years ago now. They've never called for him. Amen. Roger. For those of you who may not know, Roger's on, Roger's on our pastoral staff here. He's Pastor Roger. He leads the bridge ministry. He's our outreach pastor. 
You, you just never know. There's somebody living next door to you that may be another Roger. Somebody led Billy Graham to the Lord. Amen. You just never know. We baptized, I think, three of the girls from the club right here in this baptistry. And we got ladies like Haley and a whole bunch of others that, that go with her. And they go down on Broad Street and they go to those strip clubs. And the guys go down, they don't go in the strip clubs. They walk the sidewalks and pray for these girls' protections while they're in there and pray that God will give them favor. And they go down and visit those girls. They just go down and love on them. They just go down and take them little gifts and just tell them, say, we just want you to know there's somebody in this town that cares about you. There's somebody in this town that loves you. There's somebody in this town that's praying for you. Somebody in this town just wants to share Jesus with you. And God's beginning to save them. Amen. Bringing them out. We've helped with furniture and other things to help them get started in a new way of life. Listen, the opportunities are, are numerous. The opportunities are, are, are beyond what you can imagine. Several months ago, I baptized a, a young Muslim guy in this baptistry right here from Pennsylvania. He flew down here because... Brother Adam had shared the gospel online with this guy and he gave his heart to Jesus and he didn't know where to get baptized. He got an airplane ticket and flew to Augusta so we could baptize him right there in that pool. Amen. This is what it's about. It's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's telling the world. It's the mission of the church. And church, we've got to do what we do in a hurry. Jesus is coming. Our time is limited. And it ought to be top priority in the body of Christ to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If y'all will stand with me, I'm going to preach all day. I've been out of the pulpit for a couple of weeks and I can't get stopped. I, I just... <laughs> Praise the Lord. I got one brother that'll stay with me. The kids, the people who are working in children's church are the ones that might come after me if I preach all day. I want the prayer team to come quickly. And I know this hasn't been a, a salvation kind of message, but Anytime the gospel's presented, the presence of the Holy Spirit's here. It's a good time to get saved. Amen. So I'm going to invite you, if you're here today and you're unsaved, I'm going to invite you to come give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come home. If you have other needs in your life, I'm going to invite you to come and pray. We have some folks who will be glad to pray with you and for you. Or if you just want to come and find a place, just you and, and the Lord. There may be some of you standing here today who say, I, I just need to come and, and ask the Lord to, to just direct my, my outreach, my evangelism. My, I, I just need the Holy Spirit to use me. I just want to present myself to the Lord and say, Lord, here, use me however you can. God may call you to a mission field across the ocean, around the world, or God may make an opportunity for you to share to some, with somebody that you work with. It, there's, there's so many ways. Ann Kimmel wrote a book on, I'm out to, entitled, I'm Out to Change My World. 
And she just talks about doing just little happy things. She said, when somebody moves into my neighborhood, I bake cookies and I go over and sing them a little song about Jesus and give them some homemade cookies and welcome them to my neighborhood. And she's won many, many, many people to Jesus just sharing cookies. Amen. It's, folks, it's not, it's not hard. It's, it just needs to be a lifestyle with us. We just need to be open to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit when he prompts us. And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to be a vessel that he can use, I promise you he will use you. And he will make your life effective for his glory. The altar's open. If you'd like to pray for whatever reason, whatever reason you may have to want to pray today, come on. If you feel a desire to pray, that's the Holy Spirit. Respond to that. For the next few minutes, let's have some prayer time. God bless you.